You know, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, we played some wiffle ball yesterday, and I was pitching for like 19 innings or something ridiculous and throwing the ball way too much. And uh, Pastor Matthew was there, and he was joking like, hey, man, you're going to have to preach one-handed tomorrow. And here I am. Preaching, preaching one-handed this morning. So anyway, uh, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. As always, uh, we love you. We love this church, um, love being a part of this church, and just thankful to be able to preach God's word this morning. So um, show of hands real quick, and uh, I know we're, we're all in, uh, in different areas, but who has, who has spent at least some time at the doctor's office this year? Anybody? That's a, that's a lot. And some of you guys just love spending time in the doctor's office, I know. Um, Well, it sounds, I don't know, it looks about 75% of us or so have spent at least some time in the doctor's office this year, whether that was uh, something like getting your brain tickled for a COVID test or something, maybe a little more serious, uh, whatever the reason was for going to the uh, doctor's office, it often comes down to, I have a problem help me fix it, right? That's the reason why we go to the doctor's office. Um, this is going to fall flat here, I'm sure, but are there any Doc McStuffins fans in the crowd? We have one. Thank you, Bowers. The ba- I'm going to speak to the Bowers this morning. Well, at our house, we, uh, we have some kids that really love Doc McStuffins. And for those of you who are not blessed enough to have Doc McStuffins on repeat, Doc, is a, she's a seven-year-old girl who dreams of being a pediatrician just like her mother. And so she spends all of her days basically practicing her skills and wants to be a pediatrician. So how that kind of plays out in all these episodes is uh, that her friends bring her one of these stuffed animals or toys every episode. She does her little checkup and then uh, gives them a diagnosis from her encyclopedia called the Big Book of... Big Book of Boo-Boos. Thank you. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> the Big Book of Boo-Boos. And so uh, that could range from anything from like burritis to, um, oh, what's another? Oh, one of our favorite at our house right now is loose toothiosis. Uh, and so uh, in the end, the toys feel better after Doc gives them this prescription for their illness. It's similar to when we go to the doctor uh, sometimes too, right? We get the pain of the illness, but we also get the hope of the prescription. And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time at everyone's favorite place, the doctor's office. And uh, the story that we're going to look at this morning kind of gives us uh, a great look at the illnesses that you and I deal with, but it also offers the hope uh, of a prescription that, Lord willing, will remove the symptoms of those illnesses. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, I'd love for you to get a copy of God's Word, whether that's on your phone or your Bible. We've got some Bibles on the table too, but we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke this morning in the New Testament. We'll be reading Luke 12, verses 13 through 34. Uh, But before we jump into that, I just want to kind of set the scene for us a little bit here. So uh, where we are in Luke, Jesus is in full swing in his ministry. So he's healing and teaching. He had this, just had this epic smackdown of some uh, scribes and Pharisees. And uh, the Bible says that in the meantime, thousands of people had gathered together and were trampling one another. So Jesus is in the middle of this crowd speaking to them uh, when someone calls out to him. And and that's where we'll pick up here in Luke chapter 12. So uh, follow along with me as I read, starting in Luke 12, verse 13. says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And he told them a parable, saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God, we, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that uh, we have a copy in our hand, that we get to read it, that we get to sit around uh, the word of God as a church body this morning and worship you. God, we are, we are tempted. We are tempted to sin. We are tempted to take our eyes off of you um, every day. And so, God, we pray that we would learn to rely on the truth of your scripture. We pray that we would get our eyes off of ourselves, our desires, our wants, and Lord, help us to see you as beautiful and sufficient in our lives. Amen. So as we look at the, the passage this morning, uh, we're going to see that the, it's kind of broken up into two different sections. And when you finish, or when you first look at these two sections, you're probably thinking they're two separate stories. Uh, in your Bible, it may be labeled as two separate stories, and that Jesus is just moving from one teaching to the next. However, you're going to see a word there in verse 22 that is uh, pretty important. It's that, therefore... And that, therefore, just kind of shows us how connected these two uh, passages are. And what we'll see is that the first half is going to re reveal some of those illnesses that we talked about that you and I uh, suffer from. And then the second half is going to offer some hope in the form of prescriptions for those illnesses. And so uh, as we're in the crowd here, someone, someone says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It immediately gets people's attention. Right? And I just picture a bunch of people, their heads spinning back toward Jesus to see what Jesus is going to say and how he's going to respond to this. But um, here's the deal. We are going to talk about money this morning a little bit. And the reason the Bible has to speak about money is that we worry about money. We use money every single day, uh, for the most part, of our lives. We fight about money. Right? You guys ever had a fight about money? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. How about a fight with your family, similar to uh, what we see here? It is not, uh, not a pretty thing. And so while this passage is seemingly addressing an issue of inheritance, we know and Jesus knows that uh, this is about a deeper illness. It's about a worship issue at its core. 
And so we've got this issue that's brought to Jesus, and he responds by, by saying, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care, be on guard. It sounds, when you say it, it sounds a little uh, redundant, doesn't it? I, I think what, what Jesus is telling us here is watch out. Like, watch out, guard against that. Be aware of this danger that exists right in front of your face. It's kind of like when I, when I yell at my kids to stop, don't do that. Like, you're, you have to be redundant because often the first time they don't hear you anyway. And what you're trying to protect them from is something that could be potentially very dangerous. And so uh, before even getting to his answer, Jesus is telling everyone here to be on guard against something very dangerous. And that dangerous thing is the first illness that we're going to look at this morning, and that is greed. Now, as we, as we think about greed, it's uh, this, this aggressive, grasping desire that we have in our hearts. Jesus is warning us to guard against that because he knows this greed is something that uh, often is going to eat away at our relationships, eat away at our hearts, and eat away at our souls. And when we, when we look at greed, we also see that it has uh, many faces, too. Like, it, it could be that outward expression of greed where it's like we're playing hungry, hungry hippos and you're just like more, 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 more. Or when my wiffle ball team is like just racking up runs and you're like, we want more runs, more runs. It's that greed that, that is kind of expressive and, and outward, uh, but it could show itself in some more subtle ways too. Uh, some more subtle ways through our worried hearts. And sometimes we're greedy because we worry. We worry we won't gain someone's respect. We worry we may lose our job. We may worry that we may not get the attention of that guy or that girl. We worry our kids may not be able to go to college. We worry when we see our 401k tanking. Uh, worry is a form of greed, which we'll see in this passage. And when we worry, we're essentially saying that God can't handle this, so I will. And that aggressive, grasping desire starts to come up in our hearts and creep out of our hearts. And Jesus is warning us. He's saying, watch out. Watch out for that. And then he also tells us here that, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So I'll ask you guys, do you believe that? Do our lives reflect that? Do the, do the pace and, uh, and the demands of Northern Virginia, do they remind you of that? Not really. I don't, I don't see that in, in the area here. Oftentimes what we see is that our life is valued based on how much we're worth Culture and society is telling us that our life is valued based on how much we're worth. You know, we live in an area here in Northern Virginia where we interact with some very powerful, influential, wealthy people on a daily basis. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at the most recent census data from this past year, I don't think you'll be surprised when you're looking at the, the wealthiest counties in the U.S. that number one on that list is our friends just right to the, to the west in Loudoun County. And number two is right here in Fairfax County. And we have absurd amounts, amount of wealth in this area where we live. And in our society, the more you have, the more you're worth. But Jesus is reminding us here that our life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. Your life does not consist of what you own. The abundance or the absence of possessions should not imp impact our view of life. But oftentimes, uh, I think we live as if it does, right? We live just as this rich man in the parable that Jesus tells. So we're going to look at that par parable that he tells here, um, in, starting in verse 16 or so. It says, in this parable, Jesus says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So we've got a man who's had some, he's had some pretty good years, right? He's got an abundance of crops. And what's the first thing that he does with his abundance? He gives it away, right? Of course not. No, nope. uh, he tears down his barns and builds lar- build, uh, larger ones to store everything. So I do want to be clear here before we move on that it is not a bad thing that the land of this man produced plentifully. It's not some sort of uh, sin that he was given an abundance of grain. But notice also what I said there, that he was given an abundance of grain. The man prospered because God caused him to prosper. Uh, But I want you to take a look real quick. We're going to read that again. See how many times we see the words I and my in this parable. And this is where it's going to be very difficult for me to preach one-handed. But count in your head with this as we read. Verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So nine times, nine times we see him use the words I and my in this parable. And as we read this, it's clear that this man is seeing what the crops can do for him, but fails to acknowledge the one that actually gave the harvest to him. And when you look at it, we also hear the worry in his voice too, right? What shall I do? And so as we look at greed, in this rich man's life, and we watch out for the greed springing up in our own hearts too. It's important to remember that there's a difference between gratefully receiving the crops and sinfully seizing the crops. So as we look at our own lives too, like what is the posture of your heart? When you check your your bank account every couple weeks and see that uh, paycheck roll in, are you thanking the Lord for his grace and generosity in your life? Or are you kind of patting yourself on the back and uh, thanking yourself for that fat, fat paycheck? Do you receive with gratitude or do you seize with greed? That's a question that we want to ask this morning. But verse 19 uh, is the kicker here, I think. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's saying, look, I've worked hard. I've done my time. I've got an abundance of crops. Now I can sit back. Now I can place my hope in these riches. And uh, the second illness here that we're going to look at in this rich man's life is misplaced hope. And Jesus is showing us uh, by this rich man placing his hope in his stored up abundance that, again, it's not an issue about money. It's an issue about worship. And uh, one of my old pastors and friends, uh, he used to say that whatever we hope in, that we will worship. Whatever we worship, that we will end up serving. You know, if I, I took a survey here, asked you guys the question, what is the good life? I think I'd get probably a variety of answers, but oftentimes, this is what the world is telling us the good life is, right? We, we long and hope for that day where we can just sort of sit back, check out, relax, not have a care in the world. I mean, I'm tempted to believe that. I'm sure you guys are tempted to believe that too. Uh, actually, about a year ago, I was at this retirement luncheon for my father-in-law, and there were way too many people that got up to, to speak. But uh, I noticed something as they were going on that every single one of them kind of ended their congratulatory speech with the same thing. They were, they, were, they were up there saying, you spent the last, what, 35 years at work. Now it's time for you to enjoy life. And I was just thinking, sitting there thinking, like, is this really what the good life is? Like, you're, you're sitting there in misery working for 35 years, but now you can actually enjoy your life. And I don't believe that's the good life that God has called us to live. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it sounds pretty miserable, and the Bible often warns against us placing our hopes in those riches like that, but those shiny, empty promises of the world, they often encourage us uh, to place our hope in those riches. 
Misplaced hope results in misplaced worship. Much like the, the Israelites, when we look at Jeremiah 2, when they followed those worthless idols and became worthless themselves, when we misplace our hope, we end up creating these little idols in our lives that they, they ultimately distort the real picture of God. You know, you do it, I do it. The holiest person you know probably does it too. Um, so again, when we look at our lives, what are the idols in your life? Where are you tempted to place your hope? Because remember, whatever we hope in, that we will worship whatever we worship, that we will end up serving. In verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And finally, we see the the third illness in this rich man. We see his selfishness. Now I know some of you guys are probably asking the this question in your head. I know I asked myself the same question. Ryan, aren't greed and selfishness the same thing? That's a great question. Uh, I have found that there is a, a small little difference through studying, through looking at the lives of many people, including my own. Uh, uh, there's a slight difference there between greed and selfishness that we'll talk about. Uh, we talked about greed earlier, right? How it's that aggressive, grasping desire that we have in our hearts. And honestly, selfishness is, is also an aggressive, grasping desire that we have in our hearts. But here's the small uh, difference that I found. The difference that I found is greed is the, the desire to obtain more, whereas selfishness is the desire to keep more. So greed, the desire to obtain more, whereas selfishness is the desire to keep more. And so as our rich man or our rich fool, as the, the text calls him, is faced with this rhetorical question, God tells him it's time. It's time for you to give an account these things that you have prepared, uh, these barns you have built up, these goods that you have stored, whose will they be? You guys know that old quote where you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? That's kind of like the same idea that we're getting at here, where this man has put so much effort into obtaining and keeping all this stuff, but for what end? The problem goes back to when he received all that abundance. You guys remember how many times we saw the word I and my in those two verses? We saw it nine times. And uh, what that was showing us was that this rich man had an incorrect view of how his possessions should be governed. So when he received that abundance... He was probably thinking of himself as owner rather than steward. You guys might be thinking about, like, what's, what's the difference between owner rather than steward? So ownership says that this is mine. Stewardship says this is the Lord that he has entrusted to me. Where ownership says that I can do with it what I want. Stewardship says that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Ownership says relax, eat, drink, be merry. And stewardship is asking the question, how can I use this for God's glory? So the, first, the, the rich man's first thought here was hoarding, right, not giving. And so when we receive that same abundance in our lives, are, are we uh, fitting that into our barns? Are we giving it away right away? You know, often I think when we're talking about ownership and stewardship, we like to govern those same things as owner rather than steward. And God says to this rich fool, he says, your, your life does not belong to you. One day I'm going to ask you what you've done with these things I've entrusted to you. You know, one day, you and I are going to stand before the Lord. You and I are going to give account uh, for our lives, and the Lord will remind us that we were never owners to begin with. And so when he asks you, what have you done with these things that I've entrusted to you? What are you going to say? Are, are you going to govern these gifts in your life as owner or as steward? And that is how you'll see we are rich toward God. You're preparing for his kingdom, right? You're seeing yourself not as owner, but as steward. 
to be greedy, uh, to not be greedy, knowing that we receive vertically and then we give horizontally. So we can be rich in stuff or we can be rich toward God. And uh, we can believe the lie that we are owners in this world or we can rightly view ourselves as stewards of God's good gifts. And so I know I've spent probably, what, the last 20 minutes or so talking about all the things that are wrong with us as humans, right? We get it, we're selfish, we're greedy, we misplace our hope, we, we uh, create all these idols in our lives. And uh, like I said before, we could stop here probably at verse 21, call it a day. And uh, I think we'd be leaving here just kind of feeling like losers and nobody wants to feel like a loser without any hope. That is not good news. Um, but the good news is that there is a prescription for these illnesses that we looked at. Right? The good news is that Jesus came so we wouldn't be defined by our greed, by our idols that we're creating, by our selfishness. Jesus offers us an abundant life, and his desire is that we are holy as he is holy. So while we recognize that, yes, we are sinners, yes, we are tempted by greed and selfishness, we are tempted to idolize other things, we also recognize that Jesus offers us a prescription to fight uh, this sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get right, right into it here in verse 22, uh, where you follow along with me, if you got your Bible, when he tells his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. It says, do not be anxious. And you know, I'll admit that when I hear this, it kind of sounds like one of those things that people say, meaning to be helpful, but it actually kind of makes the situation worse. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like if, like if I saw my wife, Shannon, oh, she's nodding her head and smiling already. If I saw my wife, Shannon, sitting on the couch, uh, kind of in a bad mood, and I just walked by and said, hey, babe, get over it. You're going to be all right. That's, that's probably not going to be best for her or for myself uh, in that situation. So that's kind of what, I, what, I'm, what I'm reading here, where um, it, the same thing. It's, it's not going to be super helpful for us that struggle with anxiety. And I know a lot of us have a tendency to be anxious people. Like even as you're sitting here right now, listening to God's word say, do not be anxious, it's probably making you anxious because you're just thinking about all the things that you're anxious about already, right? It's kind of the same thing where it, it seems like it's not helping. Um, look, I know anxiety is real. I know it is hard. Uh, I know it's painful. It can be all-consuming at times too. And what is it that often leads us to anxiety? It can be a, a variety of things, but a lot of times we see that it's our worry that leads us to anxiety. You know, we worry about what we will eat. We worry about what we're going to wear. We worry that God's not good enough for us. And so our sinful reaction is that greed. Like, let me get all of these things, and then I'll be comfortable. But Jesus is telling us here, do not worry about these things. In other words, his first prescription he offers for us is this, to be content. Be content. I know it's... Uh, difficult thing to do. I think uh, one of the things I've noticed recently, there's no better thing or no better picture of discontentedness than on Christmas morning, right? It's, uh, it's almost June 1st, which means it's almost time for the Shaughnessy's to put up their Christmas tree again. And we had a great time last Christmas. We just celebrated about six months ago, and this was actually a very hard question for our small group to answer. Uh, but does anybody remember what they got for Christmas last year? Did anybody get anything good for Christmas? Anything that they wanted? Anybody? Nobody? See, it's a hard question. I know. Well, I had some time to prepare. So I actually got something that I really wanted, much to my wife's dismay. She's kind of uh, resenting this right now. But some of you guys got to experience the goodness that comes from this yesterday. I finally got a smoker that I really wanted uh, for Christmas. And when I, when I opened it up, uh, I, was, I was a little bummed, you know? Like, I was kind of excited 
But then I started asking myself, like, what about the pellets? Like, what about the new tools that you need for it? Maybe like a fancy little apron that I can wear. Like, what about the meat, the most important part? Give me some meat to go with the smoker too. So as I opened up uh, this present, I wasn't content with just the smoker, right? In moments of greed, the smoker wasn't enough for me. I felt like I needed all these other little things to go along with it, and then I'd be content. Then I'd be satisfied with my gift. Forget Christmas morning, since none of you guys remember Christmas morning anyway. How many of us are living our our lives like that, where uh, we're finding ourselves having a strong desire for the things of this world? Do you find yourself having a strong desire for the things of this world? This is a, this is a verse that I've had to read over and over again. It's, it's actually a prayer that's, uh, that I've had for my girls, especially lately. Uh, but 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Simple, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. However, we know this, that our hearts are often bent toward the love of those material things in the world. But Jesus is telling us here, he says, be content, right? I've got you. Trust me. And part of being content is trusting that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, uh, and that we can trust that God, just as God feeds the ravens, clothes the lilies, that he's going to care for us. You know, trust in Christ and worry goes away. You trust in Christ and greed cannot devour you. It's a call for us to to be content in whatever position you're in, whether the abundance is, is flowing in or you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. It's a promise that God will take care of our needs if we trust him. And we see it doesn't get any clearer than Hebrews 13.5. should be on the screen for us. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and what? Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the problem too, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to trust him. We've seen him act, right? We know he can do it, but still we have that unbelief in our hearts that causes us to question if he'll really do it. And we see it starting here in verse 28. It says, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of you of the little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. It's our unbelief that leads us to greed. It's our our unbelief that leads us to place our, our hope in the things of this world instead of the God who cares for us. And in order to root out the sin of unbelief in our hearts, we need to fight unbelief with the truth of God. And so instead of constantly worrying about Uh, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, where we're going to work, where we're going to live, who we should marry, whatever that question is for you. Jesus gives us our second prescription here. He says, instead of seeking those things, seek his kingdom. When we seek his kingdom, our hope is where? Our hope is ultimately in God, in, in the eternal pleasures of life with him. Our hope isn't misplaced on the idols that we've created here in earth. You know, we have an understanding that this is not our home. We sang about that this morning too, that this is just a temporary stay before we spend eternity with God in heaven. Artist Tripoli has a, a great line in one of his songs where he says, if I find I have a need this world cannot meet, then I know this life is a place where my hope should not be. So we ask, how do we, how do we seek God's kingdom first? Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. Often it means letting go 
of our goods and money, letting go of the things that we worship in place of Christ. And that's what Jesus commands us to do here in verse 33. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus knows that we're going to be tempted by the things of this world, have a desire to keep instead of give. Uh, He knows that much like this rich fool, we're often going to be tempted to think that our abundance, our success as a result of the things that we've done ourselves. We'll want to build bigger barns, buy that second, third property, you know, show off our toys, hold our assets, watch them grow and grow and grow. He knows this, and he's often uh, after our hearts. You know, he sees the greed. He sees the misplaced hope. He sees the selfishness of the rich fool here, and he gives us the third prescription to be generous. We talked about the the rich fool's response to his abundance, right? He gave it all away, didn't he? No, we saw that. He he wrongly assumed that his success was a result of his works, and then he spent time building bigger barns so he could store all this extra grain in there. But we need to remember that abundance and success and blessing comes from the Lord. It's not a result of our own hands. It's not from a trust fund. It's not from, not from the government, whatever you think that the wealth comes from. Any abundance you have is a gift from God for the sake of his mission. We ask, why, did, why does he give to us? Right, he gives so that we might be generous and give to others. It's the cycle of gratefully receiving and joyfully giving. Gratefully receiving and joyfully giving. So what does that look like for you? Are, are you giving out of your abundance? Is generosity overflowing from that abundance? Are you faithfully and joyfully giving to this church? It's hard. I know it's hard. It takes a, it takes a better understanding of the generosity of God in our lives. Honestly, it takes a, a work of the Holy Spirit to change our selfish hearts too, but it is worth it for eternity's sake. I was in, I was in Boston a couple years ago. Uh, actually, gosh, a few years ago now. And it was uh, pretty cool out on the street. You see some of those street performers. Some of you guys from cities might know what I'm talking about, where this big crowd sort of gathers around the performers. They're doing all sorts of flips and tricks and uh, all sorts of cool stuff. And when they get a big crowd, uh, one guy came out and said, hey, if you guys like what you see, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your wallet, take out a dollar, and give me your wallet. Right? Think about that a little bit. And oftentimes I think that's the picture that people have of the church right? I think they think that's what Jesus is going to ask them to do, that uh, he's going to just take everything from them. And so they get scared. And so their selfishness starts to creep in a little bit. Their idols are being attacked some, and they feel like they'll have nothing left if they give uh, generously with what God has given them. And yet Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 uh, has a warning for us. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And friends, I think it's, it's clear that we need to be unattached to the things of this world. So here's a test for you. You guys ready for a test this morning? It's an easy test. Well, it's kind of a hard test. Verse 33 is your test. Could you sell it? Better yet, could you give it away? Are you willing to burn the barn? Are you willing to give up the things that you love and hold dearly? Like Abraham binding his son Isaac, arranging the wood on the altar and drawing his knife to sacrifice him. 
like the disciples we see who have who've dropped everything they've known, left everything that they've owned to follow Jesus. What's getting in the way of following and worshiping Christ for you? How attached are you to your most prized possessions? You must be willing to give them up. And so maybe God is testing us to see how attached we actually are. You've done your little test in verse 33 here, and now the Lord is testing us to see how attached we are. Uh, Some of you guys might know that a couple years ago, actually, I was considering a pretty huge career change in my life. I uh, had an opportunity at a church that honestly would have been my dream job, but along with that would have come with about a 60-plus percent pay cut. We would have had to move to that state that we don't mention here in this church. Uh, You guys know what I'm talking about. That's what the chuckles are for. We leave the house that we've grown to love a certain level of comfort here, a secure future for our kids that I had uh, through working in the government. And I'll admit that it was a difficult few months for me. You know, I was faced with those temptations uh, and finally got to the point where I literally said out loud, I'd be willing to give that up to follow the Lord in this opportunity. And of course, no more than like two days later, I get a call from them saying, hey, we're basically gonna be moving in a different direction here. And I'm left there just thinking, Like, what was the point of this whole exercise? Like, why did I go through this whole thing for months, all these conversations with this church, just to be left here with, hey, we're going in a different direction. And I honestly believe that it was the Lord placing something in front of me to see what I treasured most, right? Did I put my hope in my current situation that I had, one that would allow me to eat, drink, relax, be merry? Or was I gonna be obedient to the Lord, hold these worldly treasures loosely, and store up treasures in heaven. It's kind of living in this, this tension that 1 Timothy 6 talks about. Some of you guys might be experiencing this too and living in this. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm an encouragement to you this morning, you guys probably know this, to not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on our generous God, the one who will allow you to propel uh, your generosity toward others. And we see here in 1 Timothy, the act of storing up treasure, or the act of giving is storing up treasure in heaven. When you look at that, the act of giving is storing up treasure in heaven. So uh, our treasure is our object of devotion. So where is that? What is that? Where will your treasure be? It's not in our garage. It's not uh, in our bank. It's not on the walls of our living room. True treasure is an eternal relationship with God, taking hold of that which is truly life. And we're taking hold of of the true life, that, that good life, when we loosen our hold on the goods of this life. I couldn't help as we were singing that new song, uh, Christ is Mine Forevermore. Didn't plan any of that with Hang, but I wanted to read those lyrics for us again as I feel like it's pretty applicable here. Verse 1 starts with, Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him, yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the King of Kings. That's the temptation that we're faced with on on a daily basis, to look at those worldly treasures, to forsake the King of Kings. At the end of the song, We're left with this hope. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk. For there my treasure, my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. 
And so I don't want you leaving here this morning as you look at the screen. I don't want you leaving here thinking, do this, do this, do this. I want you leaving here remembering what Christ has done. That's the good news, right? These prescriptions only work because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so when you look at the screen behind me, there's a, there's a biblical principle at play here that some of you guys already know, some of you guys may have heard before. It comes from uh, Ephesians 4. It's that process of put on, renew your mind. Or sorry, put off, renew your mind, and put on. Put off greed, renew your mind, put on contentment. Put off misplaced hope, renew your mind, put on hope in Christ, seeking his kingdom. Put off selfishness, renew your mind, and put on generosity. So as the worship team comes up, I want you guys to remember that God is our perfect father who knows our needs. He's our perfect father who cares for us, who considers us valuable. And understanding this and and yearning for those eternal treasures in heaven will motivate us to live free from the love of money and find eternal joy in following and treasuring Christ. You know, what we take hold of is not the fleeting pleasures of this life. We want to take hold of the eternal pleasures of the life to come. You know, our hope is ultimately in Christ, not in our wealth. And we long for the day, like it says here in the passage, where moth and rust will not destroy. We long for that day when we're with Christ. We understand that if I find I have a need that this world cannot meet, then I know this life is a place where my hope should not be. What it tells us is for for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So church, love Christ, trust in Christ, treasure Christ, and hope in Christ with confidence. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we see the sin in our hearts. We we know that it's a temptation every day to follow after the things of this world, to be seduced and tempted by those things that shine, to be tempted by the things that the world tells us we need to invest our time and our money into. But God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning, that your spirit would come and just transform us. God, that we would put off that sin, that we would renew our minds, that we would put on that holiness and righteousness that's found in you, God. God, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. That sacrifice is the only way that we can have um, life and joy in you, the only way we can fight these illnesses with the prescription that you've given us is through your spirit, Lord. So I pray that as we go into this world, as we love Christ and live sent, God, that part of that would be the countercultural idea of not worrying about our growth and not worrying about these shiny toys and things that we put our hope in, that we're tempted to put our hope in. God, that we would place our hope in you, that you would be our ultimate hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.